Welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. This is a little bonus feature for you all. We're going to be looking at love in the time of monsters. And uh, before we uh, get into that show, though, we're going to have an interview with the director of the film, Matt Jackson. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Did you do um, like the former film school, formal film school thing to uh, to get into this, or did you do? Or did you just kind of just one day wake up and decide I want to make a movie and just start trying to do it? I did. I did. Well. So I, I went to the University of Arizona in their film school, um, which is at the time it was not much of a film school. Um, so kind of. Uh, and I was not – they had two uh, degree levels. They had a production-focused and they had a non-production-focused. Uh, and I was the non-production-focused, but I forced myself into all of the production classes anyway. Um, and then I moved out to L.A. and I was and with the goal of I want to make a movie. Um, and so at my 10 year mark of being in LA, I had made my first feature and I was really excited about everything. That's awesome. That was, yeah. And as a matter of fact, that the first place we played was back in Tucson the day, like the day of my 10 year anniversary. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's like, that's a big, that's a big full circle kind of movement there. Yeah. That's a, that's, yeah. that's fun. It was really, really awesome. Uh, man, I, I, I gotta tell you, I really, really dig this movie a lot. It's, it's got so much heart and I'm really excited to talking to you about it. Um, can you just tell me a little bit of the story about how we got from idea to script to production? Just, just tell us a bit about how this thing got made. <laughs> that, that's a hell of a story. Oh, uh, is what good. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the short version is it was a lot of, it was a lot of like, it was a lot of us. It was an uphill battle the, the, the entire way. It was all fueled by, by just perseverance and refusing to back down is one of those crazy things. Um, so, uh, the way it worked was I directed, uh, a short film in 2006. Uh, yeah, geez, that mm-hmm. makes me feel really old. <laughs> um, sorry. In 2006, uh, with, uh, Andy Gunn who produced, uh, love in the time of monsters. Mm-hmm. And 
after I did a festival run, we said, ah, we really want to make a movie. We really want to make a big, fun, kind of a genre piece. But, you know, we need a script first. And uh, a guy I went to college with uh, had a script that was great. It leapt off the page with these wacky characters in this awesome place. And it was everything I wanted it to be. It was called Gigantilopith- Gigantilopithecus Doom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it was this weird story about twin sisters and Bigfoot and little mutant kids and this weird Croatian guy. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the movie, but it needs some work. Um, And so that was – we started that in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so 2008 to 2012 was all – was all giving notes and finding the place and and – all of the all of the unglamorous stuff about making movies. Sure. Uh, and then in um, December of 2012, so almost five years ago, we um, we had a script that we really liked, and we weren't sure that it was actually going to work. So we got some friends together, and we did a read through, and everyone laughed. Everyone had a good time. We said, "Okay, so we actually have a movie on our hands. This is great." Um, we drove up to uh, to Northern California. Mike uh, on one of his notes journeys had been driving through Bigfoot country and found the perfect location to shoot at. And it was this old lodge in Northern California. Uh, it's uh, 20 miles from the Oregon border. It's called um, the Patrick Creek lodge. And he just drove by it randomly one night, walked in, talked to the owners and said, Hey, what if we shot a movie here? And they're like, yeah, whatever. So a year later we showed up and uh, we're like, Hey, so we, we actually want to shoot a movie here. Uh, we talked to them. We scouted it out. We really liked it. And then we started in earnest the process of getting money together and making the movie and, and all that. And then ultimately in in um, May of 2012, five weeks after I got married, uh, we went up to Northern California and shot the movie. And it was crazy. It was the craziest three weeks you've ever, you've ever seen. Um, and just as a side note, never – Make a movie five weeks after you get married. Yeah, it seemed like that would be that would be a poor choice, um, but you yeah. survived it well, though. Yes. Yes. No, and, and I'm still married, which is even better. Yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> it survived, so that's important. Um, you know, as I watched the film, there it, it is sort of a, a a great mixture, you know, of of various sorts of genres and types of films. And uh, what were some of the influences that you were trying to draw on when you were um, putting together the film and the look of the film? Uh, when you put it together, well, you know it's it's um, uh, it's it's funny. So there's there's the really obvious ones. Like I'm a big fan of Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. and so I love Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness and that whole feel. And so there's a lot of that influence in there. I love '80s movies. You know, the movies I grew up with. I, I was born in the early '80s, so it's it's those um, those movies of like. Uh, of like, that that weird um, uh, knockoff Spielberg generation of like Zemeckis and Joe Dante and and uh, to a lesser extent Chris Columbus and and all those guys like that sensibility is just kind of ingrained in my my filmmaking sensibility. So um, so there's a lot of that kind of freedom and like we can do something crazy and we don't have to over explain it. We can just go and have fun. That's there. But the big thing that really drew me to the script was um, was a, an old video game and uh, and comic book called Sam and Max Hit the Road. Okay, I don't know that. Tell me about that. So Sam and Max Hit the Road was a was a Lucas Arts point and click adventure game 
for the computer. It's about it's about uh, a a dog in a suit and a rabbity thing who are freelance police. And in Hit the Road, they travel around the country going to weird um, uh, uh, roadside attractions around the country, like the largest ball of twine and the the mystery spot and like a gator uh, mini golf place in Florida. It's just like weird, weird places. And it had such an influence on me that when I read this script that was a, a roadside attraction in the middle of nowhere, I was like, I have to make this movie. It's just, it is part of my thing and, and all this stuff. And yeah, I'm just, I'm influenced by that weird, that weird sensibility. I like those weird, weird off kilter movies. And so I wanted to make something that was like an eighties movie that had the energy of a Sam Raimi movie that was a little off kilter and had a healthy dash of Sam and Max at the road. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the roadside attraction thing because that's something I thought about a lot watching it, even though it's sort of more of a vacation destination, sort of off the beaten path. Um, <laughs> right. Know, as a location. It, it does feel like it's, it's supposed to be uh, the Great North Woods. Is, is, is that is our intended location for the film? Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually the, the uh, yeah, it's a great redwood forest. Mm. It, it is no joke, 20 miles, no, it's 10 miles away from Endor. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where they shot all all the uh, the Return of the Jedi stuff. All right, well, there's some nerd happiness in that for sure. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Um, another question I had for you was um, regarding uh, just some casting. You know, how how did you guys go about getting Doug Jones and Kane Hodder? Um, uh, Kane. Well, Kane came because of Doug, and Kane has a great story. But um, Doug was a great friend of our casting director, and so uh, Andy's. Andy's like old roommate uh, was a was a theater director in L.A. So he knew a bunch of people and he was really good friends with Doug Jones. And so we were making this movie and we said, hey, Doug Clayton, our casting director, um, can you talk to Doug for us? And so he he did. And Doug read the script and he says, you know, I get these these weird horror scripts all the time. And he says, I always expect them to be. There's kids in a cabin. They're being attacked by some weird monster, and that weird monster is played by me. Mm-hmm. How much makeup is it going to have to be? And so we gave him this thing. We said, hey, so it's a little bit different. We want you to play Dr. Lincoln. And instantly, he was like, I'm in. I mean, I don't have to wear anything, and I got to be a good guy. I am super there. Um, so that was great. That was such a such a happy day when he, he agreed to do it. And then with Kane, uh, we knew some people who knew him and so we kind of snuck him the script and because we had Doug involved it it elevated us just a little bit mm-hmm. and um we told Kane we're like we want you for for this role of Lou this guy who's like downtrodden and leads these bigfoot kids uh we want you for this role and he read it and he called us up and he said you know I read the script and it's really really funny it's like I'm I'm in, but I want to meet you first. And so we, we went to some like some super generic, like a like a Gordon Beerst or something, mm-hmm. and got deviled eggs and a beer. And he figured out that we were cool guys. And he's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm in for your movie. Whatever you guys need." And then he set us up with with um, uh, with our stunt coordinator and like really opens opened some extra doors for us. And it was really great. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I'm so jealous of deviled eggs and beer with Kane Harder. That just sounds like <laughs> the, the best thing ever. Um, yeah. 
uh, one thing um, you know we were discussing. Um, Arthur Gordon is another guy who's on the podcast. And he's sort of our producer um, for what we're doing here tonight, and he's here in the room. Um, but we were talking about genre with the film. You know, um, obviously there's 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 the horror parts of it, but we we thought, and I, w- I want to ask you this question. This is our suggestion. We want to know if we're correct in our assumption here. Sure. Uh, the film feels more to us like one of those late night comedies, you know, in, in the vein of Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds, and that that it has uh, horror elements applied to that genre. What do you think about that as a uh, classification for the film? No, absolutely. I and and I'll tell you that is that is because I'm more comfortable doing funny things than scary things. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I totally intended for this thing to be. I totally intended it to be Evil Dead Two, right? Which is to me the pinnacle of horror comedies. And and I like to say that I feel like I overshot it, and I ended up in in Army of Darkness territory, where it's it's way more funny and it's way more goofy, and it works. Like I love it. Like it it plays well. All of the like all of the comedy beats are are really like there, and I'm really proud of it. But yeah, it's, it ended up being a little bit more funny than I intended. But I am totally okay with how funny it is. Oh, well, man, I'm it's, I'm pleased pleased with how funny it is, and I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. It does feel more like uh, um, Army of Darkness than Evil Dead Two, but it's definitely it's somewhere in the middle of that. No, I, I wouldn't even say that. I think it's somewhere in the middle of that. And we just we we both really really enjoyed the film. Well, thank you very much. Um, you know we, what we do on the podcast, and I, I don't know if you've listened to a show or not. Um, but what we do is we do analysis. We do film studies uh, sort of analysis. We're all sort of film studies, uh, PhDs and master's degrees people. And, that's crazy. Uh, and, 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 but all that's we awesome. Ever, all we ever do are films that don't belong in a film studies course. Like that's, that's, that's our primary uh, focus is that the canon is total bull crap and that everything's got something to say. And I love deep, I love, I love deep reads. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't have a deep read, but I want to ask for a, <laughs> a, a deep read question. We're going to do deep sure. reads when we record here in about three or four days for the show. Um, and I want to talk about just Uncle Slavko and uh, this sort of uh, immigrant connection to uh, America and Americana. Um, what, were, what were you thinking you were saying, especially when I, I'm looking particularly at that moment where we have the, the Slavko um, – advertisement bit that's sort of playing on repeat, I assume, inside the uh, lobby area of the hotel. Right. Um, yeah. what, what were some of the things that you were trying to suggest about sort of Americana and that immigrant experience? Well, you know, it, the um, uh, Slavko, Slavko allowed us to, to take the, the lodge to another level because you, I feel like you, you don't meet, you don't meet the same type of patriot that you do when you meet an immigrant. Mm-hmm. If, if that line makes sense. Completely but, makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that that um, somebody who comes to the country as an adult, as opposed to somebody who's born here, uh, tends to get really into the iconography of of the place and want to celebrate the place, and are just so excited to be an American. Like it, it makes me, it makes me feel like I'm being uh, like I'm doing American wrong mm-hmm. when I hang out with with those people because they're like, yeah, the American flags and the whole thing. So we wanted to play with that idea, and. You know, and so we want to play with that idea, period. But Slavko is not an example of all immigrants because you know he's kind of a money grubbing. He's like he becomes this dark reflection of of capitalism, where it's just what can I do to get money that like doesn't impede me getting more money, right? Right. Like, absolutely. Skirting EPA laws and and doing all that, and I think I think that it's just weird, like. That's the kind of fun we were having with him is 
that he is he is a heightened version of of all of these things of the immigrant experience who's so so crazy positive America that that he's also like that dark reflection where it's like so positive or not so positive sorry the 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 opposite where it's so like so pro business that it's it's let's skirt the rules and and do all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I was watching, I thought this is like the strange combination of like Yakov Smirnoff and Arnold Schwarzenegger having a baby <laughs> who goes to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's super great. Uh, we we really, really just uh, I, I love that character a lot. I just thought he was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, he was great. And McShane is is amazing in that role. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I love McShane. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, I, I, I mean, I could, I could recite the things, but I would, I mean, everyone's here to hear you. Um, tell us about where we can find the film and how you, well, first of all, how you got distribution and then, uh, go ahead and tell us the places in which, uh, the listener can find, uh, love in the time of monsters and take a look at it. Sure. Um, so we, uh, we played in a couple of film fests and, uh, we were seen by, um, uh, distribu- a distribution company uh, named uh, Indican Pictures, and so they pick up a lot of a lot of great independent movies, um, and uh, they are they are really a champion of of that that indie spirit in a way that you don't see a lot of in the industry right now. So it's it, we're really happy to be with them and have them pick us up, and uh, so they made a great DVD for us, which is awesome. Which so if you're into physical media like me, because I'm a dinosaur, um, you can get. You can get the DVD um, via like uh, Amazon and Best Buy, and I think it's on BarnesandNoble.com, like all dot coms. Um, and uh, I think it's also on, um, I think it's also on Walmart.com, mm-hmm. but don't quote me on that. But it's it's around, and you can find it. And then if you are before we get uh, to the DVD, if I can cut you off, yeah. before we get to no. the DVD, tell us a little bit about the special features that are on the DVD that would be different from say a video on demand platform. Oh, that. The DVD is fully loaded because I am a firm believer in if you're going to get it. Uh, like I remember those old DVDs that had a bunch of stuff. So we wanted to pack it full with everything we could. So it has uh, three or four deleted scenes on it. It has all of our behind-the-scenes stuff that we shot while we were up there. Um, it has a full commentary with uh, Mike, the writer, uh, Andy, the producer, and myself. And uh, um, as a blooper reel. And um, it, yeah, and a blooper reel, period. Um, fantastic. So, so that's worth it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, I think so, but I'm biased, but <laughs> I, I have but, no dog in this fight and I think it sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to go buy it. Nice. Um, but if you're, if you're not in the physical media, if you are a new age person who is like into the cloud and all that jazz, um, the movie is available on VOD, um, on iTunes and on Amazon and on, uh, on Voodoo, and I think it might, might be on Redbox.com, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it's it's out there, and if uh, if you're curious where you can find it, you can always go to our website, TBC Films. That's Tribeard Council, TBCFilms.com/slash/watch, uh, and you can see all your options and figure out how to get it from there. Are you working on anything what? new? Is there anything else coming down the pipe for you? Uh, I'm writing a bunch of stuff right now. I've um, uh, I'm writing a bunch of stuff. I'm seeing what hits, what uh, what sticks to the wall. I got like a like a gender flip Mad Max thing. I'm really excited about and trying to like shop around. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you know, we're always I'm looking to make something, and it's just a matter of like what people want to make. Let me make. So I'm just you know, you know, it's that weird. It's that weird part of the business where you're just like want to make this, 
And if people don't want that, then they're like, well, cool. I want to make this instead. This other thing or this other thing. So. All right. Well, fantastic. Before we go, though, Matt, uh, one thing I would like to ask you is just where can you be found in social media so that uh, people can follow you and see what you're doing next and, and do those sorts of things? Um, uh, well, the, the movie is on is on Facebook. If you want to follow like the, the ebbs and flows of the movie, which is always a good thing. Uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash love in the times of monsters, which is very hard to remember. Uh, and if you want to follow me, uh, I am uh, at platypus robot um, on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I you win the I internet like... for the best handle. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. I like to say it's a, it's an unholy hodgepodge of everything geek. Well, dear listener, now you know how to find this film that, uh, that again, Arthur and I love very, very much. I'm excited to hear what Alex and Dalton have to say when we get back to uh, the studio and record our analysis. But, again, uh, Matt Jackson, director of Love and the Time of Monsters, uh, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate having you on the show. Oh, hey, no, thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus Christ. You are not allowed to hunt on the grounds of a family vacation destination. I want to get her on my waterbed and part of Red Sea like Moses. Nice. How lucky we are. A live Sasquatch of fantasy. That's Wes, yo. Call it in, Lou. You would have done your job. Now this You just heard my interview with Matt Jackson. We are now reassembled at Arthur Gordon's Bat Cave studio, and we're very, very happy to uh, be talking love in the time of monsters. Let's do some identification of your co-hosts so that you know who's speaking to your brain directly through your generic MP3 playing device. To my right, sir, tell us who you are. I am Arthur Gordon, and I am scared of zombie mice. Meese? Meese. If you have more than one moose, moose, you have meese, like goose and geese. Correct. But why aren't they mice? Because they're meese. Because they're meese. Excellent point. Thank you very much. To my left, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and it's time to shit or get off the pot. Accurate statement. My name is Dustin Sells, and I'm an old hermit who lives in a cabin in the woods. No, I don't have a phone. That is an accurate statement. That's not from the movie. It is definitely from the movie. Also from my life. Oh, that too. (laughs) Yeah, we we (laughs) imitation breeds art. Breeds imitation breeds. I don't even know. Correct. 
Yes. So now there you go. Now you know who's speaking to you about love in the time of monsters. Now, dear Lester, we need to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And so we will be spoiling all the spoiler ridges. And so you've now been warned about that. But before we get into that section, we'll have a quick synopsis and our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. And then we get down to business and you have been warned about the spoilers that come thereafter. Let's begin with that synopsis from the voice of cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon himself, if you would, sir. Two sisters travel to a cheesy tourist trap where they battle toxic monsters dressed in Bigfoot costumes. That does happen. It's a furry fantasy for you all, dear listener, and we're very, very excited to be talking about love in the time of monsters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? I really like this film. This is a super campy, fun, good time. Um, it is definitely in, I think, the same vein um, type genre, I suppose, of like zombie land and um, like kind of horror comedies that have like some really intense, gross out moments and lots of. Um, shenanigans, I'd say. Um, and, and that's fun. And I think the movie definitely pulls it off and it has a really, really fun spirit. I could tell that the filmmakers were definitely um, having a good time, which sometimes I... Dis, it's hard to watch some movies. I think of World War Z in particular, whenever it's like, why was this movie made? Like, it doesn't seem like anyone's truly... In the in the moment of making the film, it's all about making this product a commercial commodity. Um, but I do feel like this is like a, a love a love story. I mean, it is a love story, but it's also a love story. Um, you know, being created by these filmmakers. Um, I would say that. Let's see if I have any critiques. Some of the jokes, and I did talk to one of my other co-hosts who could not make it today um, about. Um, is this movie have some weird like things saying about racism and sexism? Are they more of a cultural critique or is it, you know, kind of treading that fine line could go either way. Um, that is just, you know, one of those, uh, offhand points definitely. And, uh, overall I did enjoy the gore and just basically the entire thing. I think the third act, it gets kind of, a little long and not a lot's happening, um, but it wraps up pretty nicely. So I'd say thumbs up. Thank you very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? I like Alex's a adjective of shenanigans because this movie is just shenanigans. I think it's a lot of fun. It's just a fun movie if you're hanging out with friends and you want to watch something just really silly. Uh, Dustin kind of talked when he, in the interview about the, uh, the late night comedy uh, thing uh, that's kind of going on here, like porkies and stuff and so i think it's just it is it's just a lot of fun it's definitely better than something like the hebrew hammer which is also one of those late night comedies and this is doing it right it, it's cheesy it knows exactly what it is it recognizes it and it has fun with it i think there are a lot of you know budgetary restraints uh, the kind of the electric the electrocution stuff it looks bad but Ooh, it, yeah. it's also part of the charm i think of the movie yes and so it, it's it's cute. It's campy. It's fun. Uh, I do. I think I'm going to speak a little to that racism element in analysis. Okay. Um, you know, overall, yeah, it's it's a fun romp. It's a fun time. You know, it's you know, it's not taking itself serious. We don't have to take it serious. And so, yeah, it's it's a good time. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I'm not mad at all that I watched this movie. This movie is so much fun. Um, Matt Jackson is a delightful human being, 
And uh, so I enjoyed talking with him about it, and I think my love for the film has grown some as a result of all that. But no, it's it's fun. It knows exactly what it is. It's not trying to aspire to some sort of height that it doesn't belong in. Matt mentioned that he was shooting for Evil Dead 2 and landed somewhere ar- around Army of Darkness, and that's probably pretty accurate. It's it's but it's fun and it's it knows what it is. It's got a wink and a nod. Uh, I think I think all the performances are great. Doug Jones is solid. Kane Hodder is solid. Our two lead actresses are great for all the reasons they should be great and uh, so I like that very very much I, I I love I love the performance of the Wilford Brimley character that we have uh, in the cabin he's fantastic as well I wonder if he has diabetes he yeah, might. he was probably my favorite character. Yeah, very, very good. Love Agatha, love Slavko. I mean, it's just good times. Slavko's a lot of fun. Slavko is fantastic and I'll speak more about him oh, and when Abe we Lincoln. get to analysis. <laughs> Abe Lincoln, Doug Jones, is probably one of the best parts of this movie outside of the zombie moose and the and, and the foe and real Sasquatch that show up. Like him rocking out to like some sort of techno music yeah. and like not yeah. being bothered by what's going on outside is just the best yeah, moment Doug ever. Doug Jones a blast here, and it's good to see him not in makeup and just being able to see who he actually is uh, beneath the Abe Sapien suit and all that good stuff. Yes, in DDO. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases are generally favorable. Let's get in and do what we're here to do. Let's get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is always analysis. What analysis bring you, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, well, I want to speak a little bit about the, the racism aspect that's kind of been brought up by Alex and her uh, her review. Um, in the movie, there is a segment that kind of happens in the background that in the diegesis of the film, uh, the main actress, one of the main actresses, one of the main characters is watching this show. It's a reality show called The Black Chiller. Uh, which follows a group of... A hilarious title. It is. It is really it's funny. It's really funny. And the segments themselves are really funny. Uh, but it's a, it's essentially The Bachelor, but everybody in it is black. We have a bunch of uh, black women trying to woo a singular black male into marrying them. And it plays a lot with the uh, stereotypes of black culture. A lot. It is kind of funny, but it feels a bit problematic within the narrative of the film. Um and kind of the relation we're going here with, and they, it was kind of discussed off air, uh, is looking at something like Mean Girls, uh, where there are some jokes about uh, black culture and ethnicity uh, within that. And when we talked about that movie, uh, there were issues where we weren't trying to figure out if it was, is it racism or is it just a commentary about these types of things that are happening? Is it observational? Yeah, yeah. And so that's something we kind of got to go back to, I think, there. And in that, um, and in Mean Girls, it's kind of, leveled out when a black character kind of is able to kind of quell that joke uh, within Mean Girls. And here, the issue within the narrative of the film is there's no way to kind of counterbalance that crit- that that idea that they're portraying of black culture and all of these stereotypes. There are no, if I remember correctly, there are no black characters within the movie itself. No, Oprah. There's Oprah, the, uh, the maid service, you know, donut girl. Yeah. Um, who's our only main major black character within the film. And so it's kind of problematic because there's no alternative or a realistic view of uh, black culture. Right. And and that character also never interacts with that um, 
that depiction of blackness in that scene. So you, while no one is ever like poking fun at her being like, Oh, we saw this TV show. That's like you. But at the same time it is. Yeah, you're right. It, there's like a, it's unbalanced in its portrayal of, um, of blackness. Yeah. Uh, similar because with mean girls, the joke was, uh, Katie had just moved from Africa. And so Tina Fey obviously looks at the, the black girl in the room and that girl's able to retort, I'm from wherever, New York, New Jersey, whatever it is. And there's not an answer to that joke in uh, Love in the Time of Monsters, which might make it just a little shady and a little problematic uh, within the narrative of the film. That being said, maybe we could get some insight sometime from the filmmakers about kind of what was going on there. But I, they are funny segments. And we've talked before that movies can have problematic issues but still be entertaining. And so I think that's kind of the case here. And it may have just been one of those things they threw in and just as a joke and it wasn't really anything. They were trying to be uh, you know, mean or anything like that. And it may have just kind of went, went into the production room and just kind of happened. And so that, that would be my only thing I'd like to point out about the film, I think. Yeah, I don't feel like it's at any point in the film at all that's mean-spirited. I mean, I, there, there's so much joy in what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think you're right on there. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you have today? This film has a clear soapbox about environmental issues. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the whole issue at play here is the pollution of the environment of Uncle Slavko causing that environment to then rise up against the individuals at this um, novelty adventure getaway vacations locale. And then, um, of course, then the creatures in the environment. Um, I think the common, this is a very common trope. I mean, and it's very clear. It's not like this is some, you know, deep, deep, deep reading on in this film and this is like a very obvious someone poisoned a lake people fell in the lake and then those people are just like totally fucking up everyone's life and and while that doesn't necessarily happen to some extent in reality that still happens in on a smaller scale no one becomes like zombie uh sasquatch suit wearing um cannibal people um that aren't dead but are and their heads will explode like that doesn't happen in real life or does it i don't know um but at the same time it's like people still have to do deal with the consequences of the bp oil spill of you know toxic waste being dumped in rivers of undrinkable uh, tap water and things like that um so this trope is so common and it's very surface level, but it's also made more interesting due to the fact that you have, near the end of the film, you have real Sasquatch, whom the entire time, um, what's-his-doodle is trying to shoot. Um, remind me, our favorite, Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley is what we're talking about. Okay, right Wilford now. Brimley is trying to find the real Sasquatch, and they're doing all these faux Sasquatch sightings. But he actually joins up to with the humans. So, I mean, what could this mean when the environment also joins up, I guess, with the humans in like a very, um, you know, literal sense. I think it could be like really a symbol of how the environment tries to purify itself to an effort to purge the toxicity. But the thing is with those kind of efforts, because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, the environment will try and mitigate um, naturally. Like there are all these systems in place, just how ecosystems are designed that, you know, some of these effects could just go away over time. But the but the the issue here is that ultimately extreme human messes need to be cleaned up by the humans that created them, and that just 
that approach to being like, oh, the environment will take care of it is about as effective as one Sasquatch fighting an army of faux Sasquatches and a moose and squirrels and geese and they're all zombified and it's just absolutely fucking bonkers. Like that is the, uh, a lot of approach that maybe our people in power think, oh yeah, one person, one thing um, is going to solve all these issues. No, that's not going to happen. Nature can't just clean up itself in this stuff. So whenever you have the end of the film, you have mentions of the EPA coming in and uh, cleaning up the mess themselves. I thought that was really, really powerful. And also I really appreciate, um, and, and a government agency being portrayed as like doing something good for once in, in a film because they're doing their job, you know, um, to make the universe within have balance. It's again within itself by cleaning up that horrible, uh, toxic mess. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much. Miss Alexander Bohan. The analysis I want to bring begins with this quote. There is no zealot like a convert and, uh, Shlavko, uh, Uncle Slavko, which is the Twitter handle um, of Love in the Time of Monsters, uh, is a uh, American, uh, you know, naturalized citizen, and his um, allegiance to Americana. Uh, there's a there's a moment in there where there's a sort of like a repeated loop of um, advertising for what's going to happen there at the uh, at the facility, and it's all like the worst things about what it is to be American. All those extreme things. Hey, there's food. You eat it, right? And uh, you make America. You be happy, and all that sort of stuff that's going on. And I, as I was talking to Matt about this when I was doing the interview, I I, I mentioned that it seems like Yakov Smirnoff and Arnold Schwarzenegger had like an evil baby that went to the dark side. That's that is sort of what's going on here, and uh, that the film is really wrestling with this idea of when you give yourself fully over to patriotism uh, in a non-critical, non-ironic, non-sort of objective sort of way, the worst parts of that begin to eke in, and that's where his sort of capitalism sort of overtakes his you know environmental protectionism, which should be a priority. And uh, so I feel like the film is is asking some very interesting questions about sort of, you know, Americanism in terms of America and in terms of one's allegiance to one's nation and how when it becomes uncritical, it becomes very, very dangerous. In this case, so dangerous, it turns all your fake Sasquatches into Sasquatch Eye into uh, zombie Sasquatches, which have to be beaten up and punched in the mouth by the real Sasquatch which is hilarious and wonderful. And like all the sort of baddie stuff that happens after that with the um, zombie geese and zombie moose and squirrels. Zombie squirrels, by the way, zombie squirrels. I'm just saying. So the film is, again, very, very interesting in that way. Did you like that little alien homage there? Cause the when it squirrel... busts out of the chest? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's a, that, was, that was a good moment. Yeah, the, the the film itself. I mean, again, lots and lots of fun. Very, very silly, but it knows what it's doing because it's making this sort of dark commentary. And I have to relate it to Twin Peaks at this point, which is basically a soap opera. This is a love story about sort of these soap operatic relationships between several characters, uh, between uh, Slavko's wife and uh, Wilford Brimley, between um, Armando and uh, the the brunette sister, and of course the the relationship that sort of brings the whole thing about in the first place. All of that is uh, sort of the frame of the film, and then they have this kind of silly, crazy monster movie that goes on alongside it. And as Lynch is sort of trying to excoriate small-town Americana 
and those things uh, which sort of identify us as Americans, donuts and black coffee, etc. This film is doing something very, very similar to that. And in that Lynchian fashion, I find it to be somewhat brilliant um, in what it's doing and lots and lots and lots of fun. So there you go, dear listener. You've now heard our analyses. We must now render a verdict. Shell for trash? Else or instead? I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What do you say? Shell for trash? And what are your else's or instead's? Oh, gosh. I feel like you should give this movie a chance. I'm not going to personally own this film. Um, it's just I'm not a connoisseur of lots of monster movies or horror films. But I think it, I think you should definitely give it, give it some of your time. I would give it 16 possible uh, gay dancing tiki men out of a possible <laughs> 22. <laughs> Hey, Good. Good I'm call. the big Kahuna. <laughs> the big uh, actually kill me. <laughs> actually, little Kahuna and little Kahuna's gay. <laughs> little Kahuna is gay. Um, so I would definitely watch that. I honestly would recommend the other um, kind of low budget or uh, lower budget indie horror movies we've watched recently. So Wolf Cop, Wormwood. Um, I don't know. Just go up and watch those because I think these those two would really pair with uh, Love in the Time. It's of a piece. I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. They I think they could be like kind of a a tiny uh, unofficial trilogy if you could. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Yeah, I would I would put this on the shelf. Like I said, it's good fun. I would like to support the filmmakers. So yeah, check this out. I, you know, pick it up, watch it on, pay for it on video on demand, whatever you have to do. Uh, but definitely, I think it's it's worthy of having around especially for get-togethers and you want to have a fun little movie night with friends or whatever just turn something on uh, just to have some fun uh definitely watch this i would give it 14 zombie meat meese out of <laughs> let's say 19 that'll be that'll be fair i think and then else uh, definitely i think you watch this with the birds alfred hitchcock's yes. uh, film about the birds who have turned on us uh for whatever reason and then you check out, Alex already mentioned it, Zombieland, I think would be a fun pairing here. And then, obviously, the other horror movie that takes place in a theme park, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. You definitely got to watch this with Jurassic Park. And so those would be my else's, Dustin. When the Pirates of the Caribbean break down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a movie. Yeah. Cannibal Pirates? Cannibal Pirates. I'm all in. Cannibal animatronic pirates. Hey, Matt, we got your sequel yeah, right here. Yeah, we got your follow-up right now. All right. Well, I'm also going to say Shelf. I think it's definitely worth getting. And uh, for my conversation with Matt, the bonus features on the DVD, like physical media version, are totally worth having. And so um, it does that rare thing in which it definitely is worth owning and seeing. So I recommend it quite highly. I mean, for what it is, it is quite silly. So there you have it on that. As far as ratings go, I give it um, seven and three quarters grizzled old men out of a possible 13 and a half. And I like it a lot. It's fun. Um, you should watch it very, very hard. Um, that being said, uh, you should also check out some other films that have been recommended already by my dear co-host. But I'm also going to suggest that you check out the first couple episodes of Twin Peaks. Uh, I think that's a fine pairing, and it gives you sort of a sense of what we're actually dealing with when we're dealing with this particular film. Well, let's move on, as we always do, towards the end of the show and let's tell the dear listener where we can be connected and to which uh, various media sites we are connected. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you got to say? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. One word, you can go over there, like the page, uh, leave us some feedback. We're always posting stuff, and we love to hear from you. Uh, you could find us on uh, Google Plus and connect us there if you use that media platform. And you could also email us. We'd love to uh, get those long-form responses from you uh, at 
at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. And uh, so, yeah, talk to us. We, we love to hear from you all the time. There you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, is there another media means by which we can have a conversation, Miss Alexander Bohannon? Our tweets don't follow property lines. You can find us at good underscore trash <laughs> on Twitter. Very good. There you go. You can find us there. Obviously, you can give us comments and ratings at iTunes. It's very, very helpful for us here at the show. Uh, Podbean, the comment section there. Also, this comment section at Stitcher Internet Radio. And, of course, we can be found on Sad Men for Lonely Women. We are part of that network as well. And would love for you to check that place out for all your humor needs. And don't forget... This show is also brought to you by viewers like you, which is uh, via Patreon. If you go to www.patreon.com forward slash GTGC, you can donate and do that thing, and we would really appreciate that. Well, guys, that's a show. We've had a lot of fun with Love in the Time of Monsters. We hope you inter- enjoyed the interview with Matt Jackson, and uh, we want to remind you again, our next episode is going to be out of Shocktober. We're out of horror for ever until October comes again so not forever at all and we'll be looking at Starship Troopers so take a look at that take a look at Love in the Time of Monsters and have a conversation with people you care about because this will make going to the movies so worthwhile and until then we'll see you next time I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the monster mash It was a graveyard smash It caught on in a flash did the monster mash from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast? The ghouls all came from their humble abodes to catch a joke from my electrodes. They did the, they did the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. Did the monster match? The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rough and all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster mesh. It was a graveyard smash. Caught on in a flash. They played the monster mesh. Out from his coffin, Drax's voice did ring. It seems he was troubled by just one thing. He opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvanian twist? It's now the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It caught on in a flash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band. 
my monster mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them Vincent sent you Now you can monster mash It was a graveyard smash 